If you will, let us stand together as we read, starting in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. This is the word of God for this congregation this morning, Ephesians 4, right after uh, this wonderful meditation that we we looked at last week on the strength of Christ that indwells uh, His people, right after saying how strong we are in Him, He then gives us this wonderful charge in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, And in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. You may be seated. This morning, as we have the privilege of celebrating baptism, as we have just sung about the King of heaven and earth, I invite us to consider the question, does my life matter? I want you, knowing all the details that at times I'm sure are very mundane, of the day in and day out of your existence, I want you to consider, does your life matter? And I want to ask it this way, does your life matter beyond your life? What do you live for? That's a real question that would be really good for you to think about, to step back and beyond the Sunday school answer that you know is right, especially in this room, to Actually look at your life and say, what am I actually living for? And I'll give you a couple ways that you can consider this. The way you can check to see whether your Sunday school answer is matching up with reality. Your priorities and your passions are all over you. What you hold dear, what you cherish in your life, what you are living for is seen all over your life. Your priorities and your passions are evident in your calendar. 
How are you spending your life is a way to ask, does your life count or matter beyond your life? Your priorities and your passions are actually proven not in your immediate response to simple questions, but actually in your daydreams. Maybe you don't consider yourself a daydreamer, but evaluate your prayers. What are you praying for? What is the content of your prayers when you're praying? It is your priorities. It is what you are passionate about. Is that leading to a life that actually counts? You can look at your checkbook, the Lord Jesus would say. You cannot serve God and money. And so what you spend your money on will show whether you are investing in things that are beyond this life or if they just are comforts in this life. Your checkbook will tell the truth. Now, I know that kids ask Miss Alice questions later. So a checkbook, kids, is this little bitty book. And people used to write down their expenses in it. I want to encourage us this morning with this idea of fullness in the book of Ephesians that our life can matter eternally if we are lining up our lives with the eternal purpose, priorities, and passions of Almighty God. Your life can count beyond this life if you are lining up your life with the eternal purposes and priorities and passions of God because it is the eternal priorities, passions, the very purpose of creating all things that gets at the heart of this topic of fullness in the book of Ephesians. If I were to Give this sermon in one sentence. Some of you would be glad if I would just give you the sermon in one sentence. I will give it this way. Christ conquers the world by filling his followers. What we'll see as we trace through the book of Ephesians, this concept of fullness, we will learn this point. Christ conquers the world by filling his followers. And we're going to go through each of these references to fullness in the book of Ephesians backwards. We're going to start with chapter 4 that we just read, and we start with this point that we finished on in verse 10, that Christ fills all things. I'm trying to convince you that God has an eternal purpose and priority and passion, and He is carrying out that plan from before the beginning of time. And this is it, that Christ would fill all things. And I don't want you to misunderstand something. The Lord was full always. In eternity, before creation, He didn't make anything because He was empty of anything. He was Full. He was completely satisfied, the triune God. He didn't have any need. And so he didn't create anything because he was lacking in anything. He created out of fullness. And that's why Genesis 1 starts by saying the earth was void. It, that was what was empty. It was not the creator. The creator God created out of his fullness. 
the overflow of His fullness to fill an empty world with Himself. This is the purpose of God, is to fill the world with Himself. That is why Genesis chapter 1 comes to the high point in creating humanity as His image. Why image? Because you're a mirror. Your whole purpose. I don't know why you think you live. This is it. God made you, you, in the womb of your mother for this purpose to be a mirror to reflect His glory, to expand His rule. Adam and Eve were to expand the borders of that little garden and reflect throughout the whole world, to fill the world with the character of God. This is what this means for you, is that in everything you do, whatever your role is, whatever you're doing any time of day, this is your purpose. That everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, you are reflecting like a mirror. This is what God is like. That's how you're made. That's how I was made. This is what God would do. This is what God would say in face with these kinds of circumstances. I am a mirror imaging God. And just hearing that, if you are sobered, to see reality, you know you don't do this. And I know I fail at this. And that's because sin came into the world and broke our fellowship and broke the mirror. This is a world of carnival mirrors. This is a world where you, it's like you walk into the carnival house of mirrors or whatever and you don't see yourself as you really are. You see a distortion of who you are, whether it's wider or stretched out, tall, whatever it is. You need to understand God created the world with a purpose and you with a purpose, and sin has distorted our ability. We have been separated from God so that we can, we're so far from Him, it's hard for us to reflect Him. We don't know Him the way that we should. And so here's the bad news you're a liar. And I'm a liar. Because the way we live says a lie about who God is. That's bad news. Because He made us, and therefore He, like in Genesis 1, evaluates all that He made, He will evaluate us in judgment. When we hear then, Ephesians chapter 4, I wanted you to hear the good news or the bad news so that you can hear the good news of Ephesians chapter 4. When you hear in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10 that Christ, because of what he did in verses 8 through 10, he would fill all things, what you should be hearing is that eternal purpose of God is not let go. He's still at it. And now the eternal separation between God and sinners is being overcome if Christ is going to fill all things when he did not fill the world because of sin then he is holding fast to his eternal purpose and he is overcoming our eternal separation 
This is what it says in chapter one. Go back in chapter one, verse seven. We have sung about this. We've got it even in the name of our church now. Chapter one, verse seven. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It says in verse 80, lavished the riches of his grace on us with wisdom and insight. And then verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will, something that was hidden for a long time, according to his purpose, according to his purpose, according to the purpose that he had for creating all things. Verse 10, this was a plan all along. And in the fullness of time, the plan came about to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth through Christ and his redemption of sinners. And then you get to chapter four, verses eight through 10 that we just read. Again, we have another purpose word in the end of verse 10, that he might fill all things. He did verses eight through 10 for the purpose that he might fill all things. I want it to appeal to our hearts to live a life lined up with the eternal purpose of God to fill the world through His Son. And He tells us how this is accomplished. Just trying to woo your hearts to a greater purpose for living than maybe you are tempted to have. Christ descended, it says in chapter 4. The Son of God, in order to pursue the purpose of God, became a man, descended from his worship in heaven. This is the only way that it would work so that he could later ascend again. He never was coming down for good. He, he came down so that he might ascend again. And do you notice what it says in verse 8? That he ascended with captives. 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 I wonder if that fits within your life's purpose to be a captive. Paul is using the Roman imagery of conquest. Whenever Caesar would go to a, an unconquered land, he would take a large army with him. And whenever he defeated those people, he would lead a host of captives back into Rome. The king would be in the procession first and, and behind him would be the gates that, that the soldiers were carrying, the gates of the, the, the former enemy, now his captives. And he also had slaves with him that he had just conquered. And this is part of the, the ceremony of celebrating Caesar's supremacy and winning the war. He has captives that he has won. And Jesus descended as the, 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 the God-man in order to ascend with captives. He didn't have these captives before. He needed to conquer. He wanted to fill all things. And so he had to conquer. He tells us how. In order to fill all things, he had to redeem with his blood. He needed blood to spill blood, to gain captives. He is a savior, king. He's a savior, king. Everyone wants a savior. Do you want a king?
It's easy to sell you a Savior. Do you want a Lord? Understand what the word redeem means. It means buy. He purchases us with His blood so that He owns us to unite all in heaven and earth. Jesus descended to conquer sin and to gain captives, to buy them who would follow Him as His willing slaves. And look how good a king He is. So He's not like Caesar traipsing through the world, being cruel. The slaves behind Jesus are following happily because this is a king who gives gifts to men. He's so generous to fill all of the world Jesus had to become man, to conquer sin and Satan and death, which He did on the cross. And then He would rule all. This is the point that I want you to see about filling. It has to do with ruling. To fill the world with God's image is to fill the world with His rule. And when Christ fills all things, this is what He's doing it for. He means to rule all. Why? When we change our name to Redeemer and emphasize the blood of the cross, does our logo become a crown. It's because when you look at our logo, the crown of thorns becomes the crown over all. That's the jewels over it. It is a crown because by His death, He became the conqueror of all. Creation's conqueror, though, is a lavish giver. So listen, I, I understand that the only people you've met in this world who have power are cruel. Maybe not always, but there are flashes of cruelty in husbands and in fathers and in, in, in mothers and in bosses and pastors. There's flashes of taking and using. It's all over my life. I don't want you to misunderstand what kind of conqueror the Lord Jesus is. If you just look in chapter 5 and verse 2 to summarize what our king is like, God says, in chapter 1, do you see be imitators of God? He's, He's saying, be image of God again. Now you can be the image of God again because of what Christ has done. Verse 2, that means walk like Christ in love. If you were to summarize the character of our king, it's not a cruel taker and user or abuser. Verse 2, he loved us and he gave himself up for us. He gave himself up as an offering on the cross and that is the fragrant offering that rises to God and he is well pleased with his son's work. So I invite you this morning. You may be suspicious of everyone who has authority. Don't be suspicious of Jesus. Don't don't doubt the goodness of his commands. Don't doubt your future in, in thinking about all the cost of the cross and it will cost you everything. But don't make don't 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 let that lead you to the conclusion that he's stingy. He gives. He loves. This is a king unlike any other. I invite everyone here to turn from sin and trust in this king. 
The question is, how exactly does Christ fill all things? Christ conquers the world by filling his followers. This is how he fills all things, by filling his followers. So point number two comes from chapter three. Turn with me to chapter three. Point number two is Christians are filled with God. I want to you to see in chapter 3, verse 19, that when we know the love of Christ, we looked at this last week, that surpasses knowledge. It has this purpose of knowing Christ and his love has this purpose. It's serving this purpose at the end of verse 19 so that you may be filled with all the fullness God. Again, another reference to fullness, and in this case, we are being filled. Let me give you the background to this language in Ephesians. It goes way back to the Old Testament when the Lord brought his rule into the sinful world through the nation of Israel. I want you to think about the book of Exodus, and when, when God saved Israel out of the hands of that, that, that nasty tyrant Pharaoh, he, 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 they, they were suspicious initially of his rule because they had only known Pharaoh. And so they start to learn. It's not to force them to be his subjects in any kind of cruel way, but he was going to come and satisfy their souls and, and fill them with the, with the experience of his glory and his goodness. And so the book of Exodus ends in chapter 40 with him, them building a home for God to live with them in the tabernacle. But I want you to remember what it says whenever they build the tabernacle. And it says this word filled, the glory filled God's house with his people and Moses could not even go in. And then when they... They get rid of the tent and build an actual house in Jerusalem in 1 Kings chapter 8. We get the very same language. The glory of God from heaven fills his new house and not even the priests can stand in his presence. They have to come out. Well, beloved, better blood builds a better house. Better blood builds a better house. Isn't this exactly what he says at the end of chapter 2? When he says in verse 19, you Gentiles, non-Jews, are members of the household, the new temple of God. Verse 21, you are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in Christ, what he's accomplished because of what he did when he descended and then ascended, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to be amazed. Every single member of the household of God, every Christian is a priest in a better experience than Solomon's priests. Because we have better blood that brings us into the household of God. Last week we saw this, and you can see this in chapter 3, verse 17. It's not just that we're entering into the household of God. Christ himself comes to live inside of us. Chapter 3, verse 17. 
I want you to follow me. It is not just that better blood builds a better house. And what, what, what that means is that there's now this clean building that some people can become clean enough sometimes through their ritual of cleansing and blood to temporarily come in. No, the people who are washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus are the building. We are the building. But we don't even have to all be together to experience His presence inside of us. He makes His home inside each and every follower. Look at the great work that Christ has done. How great it was for Israel that they had God's presence and they couldn't get in. Now Christ gets in. He makes us His home. God is not just filling a building with His glory. The glorious God fills every follower of Christ. Amen. That should make you say amen. Amen. This is an extraordinary work. And I want you to keep in your heart how extraordinary this blessing is. That Christ fills His followers. Because followers are filled to yield. Make no mistake. Followers are filled to yield. To yield to the king. Do you joyfully yield to so loving a Lord? I want you to think about that. This may be the point where there's the greatest confusion of the gospel in our area. And I want you to think, God wanted to fill sinners. And so he loved sinners with the life of his son. But he fills sinners for the purpose of growing those sinners and experiencing a surpassing love with the result that they are filled with all the fullness of the God who is love. I want you to keep in your heart how great a gift that is, you get God. That's the, that's the payoff. It's not just heaven with your family. It's God. You get Him in you. There's, there's no greater gift in all the world than to be filled with His glory, His, His rule. Christian, you are the spoil of His war. He came to win you. You then are His captive. His captive he means make no mistake verse chapter 4 verse 13 he means he's doing a work to conform you to him he wants you to be just like him in every way and i'm encouraging you to let this be a willful filling a willful filling for you to will that he Fill you. Look at this in chapter 5, verse 18. Another reference to filling. Chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. Don't be filled with that. Don't be filled with worldliness and debauchery. Being filled with the pleasures of this world. Don't do it. 
but be filled with the Spirit. What he's appealing to us now at this point in the letter is to say, don't be treating him like Vader, right? Don't be treating the Lord Jesus like he's the dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader. Don't be acting like he's going to be cruel to you. Don't, don't think of Jesus as Hitler or Stalin. This is a conqueror who is kind. And to be his conquest is to live. Do you want to live? Then be his conquest. Be filled. Don't resist him. Be filled. He means to fill you, to conquer you, to cause his rule to spread in you, to make, him, make you just like him. Be Filled, command, be filled, be ruled by Jesus in every way, or else you're just treating him. You don't, you just, you, you doubt him. I'm hopping around a lot. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, He's worked us over that we might walk in a new life. Be very clear about this to be saved, to be saved. To be saved by Christ is to be saved from and to. To be saved from and to be saved to. To be saved from the lordship of Satan. We willingly followed him in chapter 2 verse 2. To be saved to the lordship of a new savior. That's why we open the service by saying chapter 4 verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy to live a life that is worthy. Don't live a worthless life. He's calling you to something great. That's why he says in chapter 4, verse 17, no longer walk as an unbeliever. No longer walk in futility and hardness of heart and and, and having the commands of the Lord Jesus just bounce off you because you don't love it. To... Put off your old self. That's old. It's dead. To put on the new self. Verse 24 of chapter 4. Be filled with all His fullness. Means leave nothing outside of His control. You have no room for sin in your life. You have no patience For unholiness, I want you to see this in God's word, not from me. Chapter 5, verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, which he calls idolatry, must not even be named. No one says this about the church. Better be nobody. That's the only thing that's proper among saints. Verse 10, let there be how much filthiness in your life? None. A few ta- a foolish talk or crude joking with my friends, my buddies. None. They're out of place. If the fullness of Christ dwells in you. Verse 5, every, you may be sure of this. Verse 6, let no one deceive you from believing what verse 5 says. Let no church tell you you're okay in your sin. Verse 5, you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral, not some who are worse than you, everyone who's impure, everyone who wants something in their life that they don't have, who is not satisfied with what they have in their life, who is covetous, they're worshiping another God, it's not Jesus. 
and the wrath of God will come upon them. Don't be like them, verse 7. You were darkness, verse 8. Now you're light. Walk in light, he says. Fullness is about control. It's about rule. And if you're filled with Christ, there is no room for any other controller in your life. There's a a saying, you want to know who's your Lord? Who do you say yes to? I don't mean just the first yes. Praying a prayer, getting baptized, whatever. Not the first yes, every yes. He says something to you. He's your king if you say yes to him, if you've been saved from saying no to him. Chapter 5, verse 18, it all culminates in this final command of being filled with a, an invitation to the Christian to yield to being filled. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. Full control results in comprehensive faithfulness. Full control will result in comprehensive faithfulness. Being just like Him in every way. And that filling can increase. That's another thing that's implied by being filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. The filling can increase in fullness. Like the fullness of a balloon can increase. As it expands and gets fuller with more oxygen, more of the Spirit, more of the Lord can be your experience. Christ conquers the world by filling his followers. Point number three, this is the last thing. And and we're going back to the beginning in chapter 1, verse 23. Point number three is, and this is surprising until you follow what he's saying. The church is Christ's fullness. Not any individual Christian, but the church is Christ's fullness. You see that in chapter 1, verse 23. Just after saying in Verses 19 and following that the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and it raised him way, way up. He ascended above every power, every authority. Again, he's king. He's, he's ruling over everyone. There's no one who can, who can rival this king. Verse 22, and God puts all things under his feet. Like a king who has a, has a foot on the neck of his enemies. Puts all things under there. He's conquering absolutely everything. And the one who is conquering absolutely everything is the head over all things. The ruler over all things to the church. That's his head. He's the head of the church. Listen to verse 23. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So if you were to, ask, uh, to be asked the question, how is it that Christ is filling the world? Is it by sending out guardian angels? 
Is that how we experience the rule and pleasure and kindness of the Lord Jesus? These guardian angels come around us and assure, assure his people of his kindness. Or he sets an angel on your right shoulder to whisper encouragements, to combat the devil on your left shoulder. Is it, is it that Christ is in heaven and sending good vibes out, good Christian vibes out? And then filling the world with a sense of him. How does the high king of heaven fill the earth with his benevolent rule? We're told the head has a body. The head is in heaven. The body is on earth. The head fills the body in order to fill the whole world. The church is his fullness. The fullness of him who fills all in all. He goes into heaven. And then fills all in all through his fullness, which is the church. Mark Dever says that when preaching is heard, the gospel is made audible. And the church makes the gospel visible. This is what it means to be conquered. Look at the church. Paul would say, maybe even something more. The church makes Christ the king visible. We are the body of the head. You spot anywhere in a crowd, you spot the body. You can trace it, your eyes up, up, up to a head. And it's the same thing here. Listen to your purpose, church. You are to be the fullness of him who fills all in all. You are to be the body. And people should be able to see the body and trace it up, up, up to the king of heaven and earth. They should see what the, through the, what the head is like by looking at the body. We're going to clarify more of this next week when we looked at the concept of together. What it means to be together, that repetition through the book of Ephesians. But one of these concepts that's confused is uh, in our day is the universal church. The universal church is not just made up of individual Christians throughout space and time. The universal church is made up of local churches. You see bodies of believers together, joined together. We'll see this next week. And there you see who the head is. In the New Testament, you always, without exception, see individual Christians clustered together. Friends, let me correct any misunderstanding. It's not just for community events. There weren't community events for Christians in the New Testament. In the Roman Empire, they didn't allow that sort of thing. They're clustered together into churches. So, Redeemer Church, you are called to be Christ's fullness. What is the mission of of Redeemer Church? Be Christ's fullness. At least one faithful representation in a world full of churches. Be Christ's fullness. How does the conquering Christ, how will He fill our part of the world with His rule? Through bodies like this one. And learn from Adam and Eve. When it all went wrong, they failed to do that purpose to fill the world with the Creator's glory. When? When they refused to be ruled by Him. When they refused to obey Him. Because they stopped trusting Him. Because they started doubting His love. So, body of Redeemer Church. Let us fill Graham with Christ by following him. I will do this just one more, but if you will follow me, you don't have to, but chapter 5, verse 23. 
Let's learn how we do this. Chapter 5, verse 23 tells us. You see that again? Christ is the head of the church, his body. Do you see what he's going to do to his body? Chapter 5, verse 27, he washes her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He does this, verse 29, because he loves us. He doesn't hate his flesh, his body. He nourishes and cherishes his body. Christ does this to the church because we are members of his body. He's so devoted, the head is so devoted to the church, cherishes, nourishes us, loves us so that he might keep cleansing us, that he might present him, the church to himself in splendor. This is our destiny. Back in verse 24, it tells us our charge. Using the example of wives submitting to husbands, he says, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything. That, that must be as the church submits to Christ. So church submit to Christ in absolutely everything. In everything. Nothing is left outside of his rule. Redeemer Church, we will be nothing if we are not this. We must not be a body of believers who question Jesus' word, who tamper with Jesus' word, who twist his word, explain away why we don't have to do this now or how you're misunderstanding this. Redeemer Church, we will be nothing if we delay our obedience to the Lord Jesus We trust him. He's done it all. He loves us. He's nourishing us. He's cherishing us. He's he's making us into his image. He's going to present us in splendor. That's what we want most. We don't suspect him. We're not suspicious of him. We happily yield to becoming less like ourselves. Don't become the best version of you. We don't want the best version of you. We want you to look just like Jesus. That's our goal. He fills all things through his fullness. He spreads his rule throughout all the world through churches who are completely ruled by him and who trust him because he loves us and who obey him fully. That's a legacy we should pray for. That is the vision, Redeemer Church, that is worth devoting our whole lives to. So that we go throughout this community and we're saying by the, reput- or the reputation and the, 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 uh, the obedience and the, the lifestyle of our church, the practice of our church. Do you know my king? Do you know my king? Know my king in seeing these servants who will not badmouth him. Know the king by seeing these servants who do not hate one another, neglect one another, gossip about one another, slander one another. When we are His bride, He loves us dearly. We will not do that to one another. See my King. Not all His commands are easy and not one of them is burdensome. He calls us to faithful living and calls churches to hard Things and none of it's a burden to us because we so trust Him. 
Christ conquers the world by filling his followers. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us a a picture of your eternal purpose, your eternal priorities, your eternal passions to fill the world with the glory of King Jesus. And we thank you that you have caught us up into that glorious call. And we pray that you would make us faithful. That the Lord Jesus in all of his splendor would be seen in a church who happily submits to him. Because we trust him. Because he loves us. And we ask this in his name. Amen.